So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, we bless you in this place right now. We thank you. We honor you. We praise you. We give you glory. Thank you that your love never fails, ever. Lord God, may we represent that love to others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I want you to meet me in Hosea, Hosea chapter 3, Hosea chapter 3. As you're making your way there, uh, it is good to see you all uh, this morning. Again, I am just uh, peacock proud that my whole family is here on the front row and I'm able to worship with them. It is good. It is good. Now, you need to know about me. I, I usually just love hanging out with the people afterwards. I love uh, getting to meet you all, getting to know you all, and uh, fellowshipping with you. However, today, I'm going to have to jet right after service. We've got a 2 o'clock flight to catch to Texas, the great nation of Texas. Uh, yes, yeehaw, someone said. Uh, we are, someone, someone wants to know, why are, you ta- why are you going to Texas? We are dropping our kids off at camp in Texas. Well, why so far away? Because I got three boys and I want to acclimate them to being far from my house. Yeah. When they're 18 years old, you, you ain't got to go home, but you got to go somewhere and you got to get up out of here. So, uh, please pray for them. Uh, this is an annual tradition that we have as a family. Our, our kids go to a Christian camp for a week and they, uh, have fun, lots of laughter and hear some good Bible teaching. And it's just a real, real sweet time for them. So we are, we are delighted to be able to continue that, but I will be back next Sunday to be able to share with you again from God's word. We begin a two-part series today on love. Love. Why are we doing a two-part series on love? Because Jesus says, by this will all people know that you're my disciples, not by the arguments you have on Facebook, not by how many books you've read, Not by what church you attend, but by this, Jesus says, will all people know that you are my followers by your love, by your love. There's a reason why when you got saved, God didn't kill you and take you home, but he left you here. To, as in the words of my grandmom used to say, to occupy until he comes. God has left you here so that we would be emblems of his love. Now, if Jesus says, by this will all people know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another, that then causes me to beg the question, what does love look like? Because if Jesus says, by this will all people know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another, then I'm convinced that when you and I stand in the presence of God, one of the questions he's going to have for me is, how did we do in loving others? So what does it look like to love? To help us with this, I want us to go to Hosea chapter 3. 
Hosea chapter 3. I want us to read the whole chapter, all five verses of it. Uh, I promise you, Hosea is in it, is in your Bible. Daniel, Hosea, it's in there. You might need to take a while, but it's in there. Um, Let's go ahead and put the passage on the screen. Let's all stand, and I want us to read this passage, just these five verses together. Here we go. And the Lord said to me, go again, Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Last verse. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, would you speak to us once again from your word? Teach us what love looks like. So that in, Lord God, that I am available to you. Stand in my body, as the old preachers used to say. Think with my mind and speak with my tongue those things you'd have us know, say, and do. Save someone's soul. Call us to newer dimensions of greater love. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a familiar story, popularized by Disney, Beauty and the Beast. Disney popularized it. There was a, I, I can even remember a television show. I think it was actually called Beauty and the Beast where the narrative is is a simple one, but a profound one. Some literal animal or a grossly deformed human being is shown unspeakable kindness when a gorgeous, beautiful woman in an otherworldly act of love befriends this creature of a person, kisses its cheek. And through that act of love, this beast is transformed into a beauty. The moral of the narrative is is of the all-transforming power of love. If you've ever read Maya Angelou's stirring memoirs, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. I made reference to this several weeks ago. She, her, her, um, her birth name was Marguerite Johnson. And she talks about the horrors of her childhood and how she was being sexually abused and how she had shut down and had put up walls and how, how this abuse had really just caused her to just uh, really hold people at bay. She was even a mute for a while. And yet she says, what changed me? was an act of otherworldly love by the local beauty, Mrs. Flowers, who every Tuesday afternoon would 
pour her some tea and bake her some cookies and would show her love. Marguerite Johnson, now Maya Angelou, says, what changed me from a mute to a literary tour de force was this otherworldly act of love. You and I both know long before Disney and Mrs. Flowers, God has been in the business of transforming beasts into beauties. God is in the business of taking people who many would not even show the time of day to, people who have been messed over by life, people who have been deformed by sin. God delights in taking them and God, the supreme beauty, plants a cosmic kiss of love on them and changes us from beasts into beauty. God's primary weapon in his arsenal of transformation is not guilt, is not shame, is not condemnation, but it's love. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus meets a beast of a person. He's simply known as a leper. He's grossly deformed. Jesus has just got finished preaching the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. And here's Jesus coming down from the side of the mountain. And this leper comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, I want to be healed. Lord, I want to be transformed from a beast into a beauty. And I love what Jesus does. The text says that Jesus touched him. Now, I don't know about you, but back in those days, you didn't touch lepers. And there's many ways Jesus could have healed him. He could have spoken the word. He would have been healed. He could have prayed a prayer. He could have been healed. But what what Jesus does is he defies the audience who is looking in. And with this cosmic kiss, with this one act of love, this beast is turned into a beauty. Now, I don't want you to get self-righteous and think that, um, that these beasts are the person next to you or that neighbor of yours. No, all of us up in here are beasts. We've been deformed by sin. Romans chapter 5, Paul deals with the doctrine of original sin when he says, Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and affected all of us. There's nothing about us that is lovely. There is nothing that we could have done to have earned God's grace and favor. And yet God, in an unspeakable act of kindness, Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love towards us in that while, not after, while, not before, while we were yet sinners. That's the most powerful word in Romans 5, 8. It's not God. It's not demonstrated. It's not love. God saw us in the midst of our ugly sin and says, I love you. I see you as is. I accept you as is. I love you as is. Yet by my love, I will never leave you as is. That's grace. That's some shouting stuff right there. So if you're here today, And you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you're going, man, if God only knew the mess about my... Let me just stop you right there. God knows. God sees. 
And God says, I still want you because in the economy of God, all sales are final and as is. Now we come to Hosea. If ever there was a case of beauty in the beast, it's here. Here we come to Hosea. And God is using Hosea, come back to that in just a few moments, as an illustration for a greater love story. The greater love story is not Hosea with Gomer. That's just an illustration for the love story that God has with his people. God's people in the book of Hosea, they're not pretty. He calls them whoring after other gods. He calls them spiritual adulterers, idolaters. And yet God says to Hosea, Hosea, I'm going to astound these people with my love. I want to show them that even though they are a hot mess, my translation, I haven't given up on them. That Hosea, you and my people don't need to make yourselves look better. You you, you know, growing up, I used to collect baseball cards. Anybody collect baseball cards? had thousands of them. And when I went up to college, my mom promptly got rid of them. I'm still hot with her about that. But anyways, the thing about collecting baseball cards is, you know, I remember opening up the packs and I'd get the piece of gum, the pink piece of gum, and um, I could still see the cards, cards just, you know, in these pristine mint condition. And and, and I'd thumb through them. And every now and then you'd see a card that was really valuable. The first thing you do is you'd see this card. It's in mint condition. You know it's valuable. First thing you do, you take this mint condition card and you would drop it in a plastic sleeve so that it would stay in mint condition because you understood that if it had any blemishes, if the edges of it were frayed, it would not be valuable. Well, friends, that's not how God works with us. We didn't come to God in mint condition. We come with frayed edges and blemishes. We're not baseball cards. We're we're more like jalopies or hoopties. I got a friend of mine, his hobby is restoring cars. The opposite of baseball cards, my friend loves to buy cars that are beat down, broke down, toe up from the flow up. He likes to buy these cars that that no one wants back in the 60s and 70s. They've got missing parts. They're rusted out. And what he does, he'll buy them for pennies on the dollar. And over a long period of time, weeks and months, sometimes even years, he will painstakingly devote hours of restoring the car. And finally, after hours and months and weeks and years of love, now he's translated something from a mess into a masterpiece that is now worth top dollar because of his labor of love. That's how we come to God. We come to God as a broke down 73 Chevelle or a 1980 Pinto. I ain't gonna go that far. But we come to God. Not all together. And what does God do? He loves us from messes into masterpieces. He restores us. He's patient with us. Now, here's what you need to understand. God's primary tools of love in our lives are other people. 
the same God who is patiently restoring you wants to use you as one of his instruments of love in restoring someone else. Now, here's the question. What does love look like? You ask good questions at about 10.50 on a Sunday morning. What does love look like? God comes to Hosea in our text and he says, Hosea, we got a problem on our hands. My people are wilding out. My people are doing what they want to do. My people are living in sin. They're cheating on me. They're breaking covenant with me. But here's what I want you to understand, Hosea. I want my people to understand that I have not given up on them. That I still love them. Now, I don't want you to just preach on love to them, Hosea. In fact, Hosea, I I, want to use you as my show and tell for how I love my people. Hosea, I want to use you as a vivid illustration that communicates to my people as messed up and jacked up as they are, how much I patiently love them. So here's what I want you to do, Hosea. I want you to go to the other side of town. Preacher. Prophet. And I want you to marry an immoral woman. She's probably a prostitute. Yeah, 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 Hosea, you'll you'll find her. She's on that corner right there. She ain't an ex-prostitute. She hasn't kicked the habit. She's an immoral woman. As Rick James says, Hosea, this ain't the kind of girl you'll take home to mama. Yeah, that's her. I want you, Hosea, to go and marry her. Now, now, now if I'm Hosea, I got a problem. Because I just graduated from seminary. I got the MDiv framed on the wall. I've been preaching. Just got called to this church. And God, you want the first lady of the house to be a prostitute? If I've got, if I'm Hosea, I'm like, God, that's not going to look good for me. That's, that's not going to make me happy or other people happy with me. And it's as if God is saying, this ain't about you, Hosea. I'm going to drop someone in your life who's unlovable. And I want you to love this unlovable person. Because that's going to give the world a window into what my love for them looks like. If I can just come in your house real quick. I'm just going to come in the house real quick. I ain't going to stay in the house real quick. Let me just come in your house real quick. Put my feet up on your coffee table. Who's in your life that's unlovable? College student, it could be that classmate who sits next to you they ain't never prepared and once again they asking you for your notes 
getting on your nerves. Coworker, it could be that person in the cubicle next to you. You just look at them and there's, there's this kind of irredeemable quality in them. And yet they're all up in your face and in your space. Married folk, it could be that in-law. Don't amen on that one. <laughs> Who's in your life? And could it be God is saying to you, I have strategically put that person in your life because it's not about you, but I want you to love that person who is seemingly lovable in such a way that it not only blows their mind, but it blows the mind of the world. Because when you love someone who is unlovable, it gives the world a picture into the love that I have for them. See, the first thing we need to understand about love is that love oftentimes is strange. Put the image on the, uh, on the screen here. I don't know if you've heard of Dick Hoyt and his son, Rick Hoyt. It's father, son here. As you can see, uh, Rick, special needs. Dick, his father, has been running marathons, pushing his son. They've run scores of marathons across this country. Someone asked Dick, well, why do you do it? Marathons are hard enough when you're just by yourself. Why do you run? And Dick says, my son told me one day, dad, it feels good when we run together. Here we have a moving picture of a person who seemingly brings nothing to the table and a father who is loving his son at great cost to himself. And God is saying, Hosea, I want you to love this woman the same way because that's how I love you. And to follow Jesus means to, to sign up for this strange kind of love. See, we want relationships that are easy. But sometimes you'll hit something in a relationship that ain't easy. And God says, love. Why should I enlist in this strange love? Because of the gospel. Because God enlisted in this strange love with you a holy God with we sinners. Second thing we learn about love from this text is love is not only at times strange, but secondly, there are times in which love is painful. Hosea chapter three, verse one tells us God shows up to Hosea and he says to Hosea, go again. The idea here is in Hosea chapter one, God shows up to Hosea and he says, I want you to marry this woman. She's a prostitute. She's immoral. She's going to break your heart. She's not going to perform. Uh, Hosea marries her. And when we come to chapter three, God says, go again, which means the implication is between chapter one and chapter three, something happened in the relationship to where now they're separated and estranged. I don't know, this is just me reading the white spaces of the text. Uh, maybe Hosea came home after a preaching engagement one day and caught Gomer in bed with another man. 
Here he is wounded by her infidelity. The text says in Hosea chapter three, verse one, that she is an adulteress, that she is loved by another man. She leaves this prophet and is in a relationship with another man. And if I'm Hosea, I'm like, boom, I'm done. That's it. I'm not going to be in this anymore. And yet God shows up and he says to Hosea, go again, go again. Go again. Why? Because as many times as my people have cheated on me. And what do I do with my people? I go again. And I go again. And I go again. And I go again. Hosea, you ain't done. To love. It's to go again. And this is the painful part about love. Because now what God is asking Hosea to do is to once again open up his heart and to be vulnerable to a woman who has been a poor steward of his heart. But it is in the opening of this heart, it is in being vulnerable that he now reinvites pain to come back into his life. In a moving passage, in C.S. Lewis's masterful book, The Four Loves, he talks about the vulnerability and the pain of love. Will you look at it with me? To love it all, C.S. Lewis writes, is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Some of us have been there. We've extended our heart to a spouse or an ex-spouse. We've extended our heart in a friendship. We've extended our heart to a father who walked out. And then the hurt comes. And what C.S. Lewis is speaking to is our initial reaction is, boop, okay. One time, putting up the wall, putting up the boundary. And C.S. Lewis says, be careful of doing that. Because you put your heart in this glass case, sure, it won't be broken again. But when you do that, you won't know how to love. Your very act of protecting yourself is hurting yourself. Some of us are incapable of loving because something happened. And we hit the alarm on our hearts and we held people at bay. God says, Hosea, I know she's hurt you. Don't wrap your heart up in a glass case. Go again. Question. Who 
in your life is God saying, go again? Who have you cut off? And God is saying, go again. Or if God were to treat us the way we treat other people, would God stop going again with you? In other words, is my love and how I relate to other people, especially those who have wronged me, is it a good picture of how God loves me? Uh, see, I'm, I'm, I'm new here. I can't read y'all. Y'all are quiet. Love is strange. Let's be real. Love at times is painful. But there's something else about love. Now, if I'm Hosea right now, I, I've got a problem with God. She cheated on me. She cheated on me. Now, God, I was obedient. I did what you called me to do. But now she cheated on me. And, and if I'm Hosea, I'm going to quote some scripture to God. So right now, I'm, I'm about to be real biblical. I'm not even going to the New Testament. I understand if I'm Hosea, New Testament, even here. Let's just go back to the law. I'm going to tell God, God, the word, your word says in Leviticus chapter 20, that if, if a woman is caught in adultery, I have the right not only to divorce, but I have the right to kill her. God says, stone her with stones. I'm quoting that one to God. See, under the, under the law, Hosea had the right. And I love it. God, who knows the law, says to Hosea, not only go again, I love it. Look at it. Hosea chapter three, verse one, look at it. He says, go again and love her. Now, now, now watch this Hebrew word for love tripped me out as I was studying this week. It's not the, it's not the, the, the predominant word for love in the Bible. This Hebrew word for love, I love it. It means to flirt. It means to make eyes with. Let's, let's have a more masculine analogy. It means to step to her. It means to spit some game. It means to get your Mac on. It, it, it's, it's the picture of a guy who's at a party talking to his homies and this girl walks by as the Commodores would call a brick house. And you're talking to your buddies, but she walks by and you just lose all concentration and focus. And now your mind is spinning about how you're going to approach her, man. And you're trying to figure out, do, do I say to her, honey, if I were to rearrange the alphabet, I'd put you and I together. <laughs> or do you ask her, sweetheart, are your legs tired? Because they've been running through my mind all day day all day. It worked on my wife, by the way. But anyways, <laughs> that, that, 
that's the idea here. Hear it now. So that when God says, go again and love her, we're about to put it together. The idea of love is to pursue. Put it together. The law says, the word says, Hosea, you have the right to divorce. God shows up and God says, not only am I calling you, Hosea, to not exercise your rights, I actually want you to go and buy her some flowers. What love is interested is not the bare minimum. Love is not just saying, all right, I'm stuck with you. But love pursues. This is what God has done for us. So that to love someone means when I walk with another person in friendship, in marriage, whatever it may be, I have now entered into a relationship with another sinner. And if I'm in relationship with another sinner, check the box, that person is going to disappoint and hurt me. If every time someone disappoints and hurts you, you cut them off and put up a wall, you are going to be a lonely person. So if you want rich relationships, you are going to have to learn how to navigate and negotiate the sin in other people's lives and to not just do the bare minimum, but to love people, even people who at times hurt you. And what that means at times is that I learned to lay down my rights. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 38. Look at it with me. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek. And see, I'd have done better if he'd have said, like, punched. There's something about slapping. Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Now, let me just camp out on verse 41. Jesus is talking to a primary Jew, primarily Jewish audience who are being oppressed by the Romans. Under Roman law, a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier could come up to you at any given point and would toss you his pack and would say, carry my pack. And under Roman law, you had to carry it one mile. Jesus says to these oppressed people, he says, now, you know, the law, the law says a soldier from an army that is oppressing you. If he tosses you his pack, that you are obligated to carry it a mile. Now, here's what Jesus says in verse 41. At the end of that mile, don't go fulfill my rights. Carry it another mile. Don't just do the bare minimum law. Above and beyond. My wife and I have been together for 17 years and um, 
you know, you know, one of the things you learn about marriage is, among other things, you know, uh, Corey and I got together and we're filled with our idiosyncrasies. My list is way longer than her list. Um, my wife is very peculiar about her house. It's taken me about 17 years to figure out it is her house. Um, she's very, very, very peculiar about her house. She, she said to me a couple years ago, she, she, she said to me, honey, um, when you get finished brushing your teeth, here's what I'd like for you to do. Take your toothbrush and angle it in such a way that the bristles are laying over the sink so that when it drips, it's not dripping on my counters, but it's dripping in the sink. Now, something in my spirit says you have lost your mind. Like, there's got to be a verse in the Bible that speaks against that. Let me get this straight. I've been brushing my teeth for about 40 years at that time. And you want me to take my toothbrush, angle it over the sink so that it drips into the sink, not onto your countertops. Holy Spirit says, shut up. And do it. What's funny is, this is true, is... A couple months ago, I was preaching somewhere, and I get back to the hotel late at night, brush my teeth, and I'm laying in bed, and I just start laughing. I said, that doggone Corey Loritz. Here I am in a hotel thousands of miles away from home, and I done put the toothbrush <laughs> over the sink. <laughs> listen, listen. We could have had a good old fight. And when I counsel couples, couples who've just kind of gotten deadlocked, it's like watching a tennis ball match. And, and you can come up with good arguments either on either side. My right this and my right that and my right. If that relationship's going to work, someone's going to have to be like, I'm going to lay down my rights. I'm just going to honor the other person here. Now, God is saying, if you really want to get into rights, I didn't have to send my only son to die on the cross for you. Oh, you want to play the rights game? Jesus said, let me chime in. I didn't have to die for you. Love is never satisfied. With just the bare minimum. Love goes above and beyond. Love doesn't just walk the mile. But love looks at the centurion and love says, this guy still looks tired. Let me walk another. Go again, Hosea. Lover. Fourth. Something happened to Gomer. They get married. She commits her immorality. Hosea puts her out. She's with another guy, but now the text implies she's not with him voluntarily. Why? 
Because when Hosea goes to get her, he's got to pay for her. Watch this. Most scholars believe what's happened is she sold herself into slavery to another person. The Bible says in Leviticus that the cost to redeem a female slave is 30 shekels. Watch it. The text says that when Hosea goes to get her, he pays 15 shekels, not done, and a homer and a lethic. What scholars think is happening here is Hosea, who is called to love her, has to go get her. The price for her is 30 shekels. He doesn't have the 30 shekels in straight up money. So he brings the 15. And now he makes up the difference in the Homer and the Lethic of Barley, which tells us that for him to redeem her cost him just about everything. He didn't just have the 30 shekels. It wiped him out financially. It cost him all he had to redeem her. Oh, you should read Helene Cooper's wonderful book, The House at Sugar Beach. It's her personal memoirs of the Liberian Civil War. She talks about being a little girl. And as a little girl of about nine or 10, these Liberian soldiers break into her house and take her and her sisters down into a basement and they are about to sexually assault them when all of a sudden the door of the basement breaks open and it's their mama barreling down the steps and their mama doesn't fight these, these soldiers. Instead, the mama negotiates a deal. She says, instead of raping them, would you let them go and rape me? And Helene says for the next several hours, we heard her, our mama being raped. My mama gave up her sense of being vulnerable so that we could be set free. It cost mama. That's what Jesus did on the cross. There was a cost to our redemption. And that cost was Jesus Christ ransoming his own life. God giving up his own son. And God is saying we are to love and love to the point where it even hurts. In, in fact, I would argue, if you're in a relationship with a person, you say you've loved them, and it's never cost you something you haven't really loved. <sighs> Love is strange, painful, lays down rights. It's costly. Let's go home on this one. Some of you guys are saying, yeah, yeah, but you don't know my situation, man. And I'm with this person. And this person has just violated me over and over and over again. And I just don't know how a relationship with this person will work. And you're making this sound so easy and you're putting it all off on me. And it, does this person have any, I mean, is there any kind of 
obligations that this person has? And at what point do you know when to let this thing go? I love it. I I want you to look at the text here because it's going to answer it. Verse two. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, watch it now. Watch it now. So he's bought her. Verse three. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you? Watch this now. Love is not like justice. It's not blind. Love has a standard. Hosea says, I've redeemed you. But now I'm calling you to a standard. My redemption of you necessitates that if this relationship is going to work, there must be a transformation and a repatterning of your behavior. This is the glorious doctrine of redemption. God did not redeem you so that now having been redeemed and set free, you get to do what you want to do. But watch the order of it. Hosea redeems first, then he gives the standard. If he would have given the standard first, it could have come across as if do this and then I'll set you free. No, no, no. He sets you free so that out of that freedom and gratitude, now you live the standard, but you do it out of gratitude and joy. There's a reason why God did not give the Ten Commandments before he opened up the Red Sea. God doesn't give the law before he opens up the Red Sea. He doesn't say, obey me first and then I'll free you. No, he opens up the Red Sea. And now having been freed and emancipated, God's hope is out of that freedom and emancipation and joy. Now love me. So that we do have responsibility, but that responsibility is not obligatory or not out of duty. It's out of joy. I can't believe you did this for me. What a great God. A friend of mine recently sold his business. He won't even have to think about work. His kids won't ever have to think about work, and his grandkids won't ever have to think about work. He started this business about 25 years ago, man, and he just boom, 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 just, you know, grinding it out, laboring, sweating, times in which he didn't think he was going to make payroll. It's just tough, 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 labor, 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 labor. Finally gets this thing going. This large company now comes in and says, man, we're going to buy you out. We're going to make you free. You are not under that anymore free. In fact, here's some financial blessings for you, some beautiful things for you, but one provision, we want you to work for us for a period of time. So that what they were saying here is, we are freeing you from the tyranny of the old regime, giving you blessings, but now we're calling you to work for a new regime. You and I, prior to Christ, we were laboring under the old regime of sin and Satan, but on the cross, God bought us out. 
And he has given us an inheritance, but being bought out by God does not put us in the spiritual unemployment line. It now says now that we have been bought out by God, we are to labor under new management, a new management governed by grace. And our employer is a good, good father. And he calls us into him calls us into his love. And he says, here's all I'm asking of you. Having received this love from a good, good father, just share it with others. Just share it with others. Go again and go again and go again and go again. It's going to cost you. There's going to be pain at times. But don't be so quick to walk away. Don't be so quick to give up because our good, good father never walks away. He never gives up on us. His love never fails. By this will all people know that you're my disciples. By your love. You have for one another. I want to give a specific call as we prepare our hearts to go, what do we do with this message? What what, what do we do with this? Some of you are sitting here today and you'd call yourself a follower of Jesus. But as this word was being implanted in your heart, the spirit of God started messing with you. And he just brought a picture to mind of someone in your heart and life that you need to go again. You need to go again. And you need to go again. And you need to go again. Maybe for some of us, it's not a particular person. It's a whole people group. I got some minority friends who have written off a whole people group who are their brothers and sisters in Christ. And God is saying, no, 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 go again. And go again. And go again. Maybe it's a coworker, it's a friend, someone at school. Maybe it's a roommate. And you need to go again and go again. In just a few moments, I'm going to make a call. And you're going to say, "I'm I'm a Christian, but pastor, I just need some prayer. I'm not loving the way that I should. There's just someone in my life, some people in my life that like you do with us and Hosea did with Gomer, I need to do with them. You know, we talk a lot about tolerance in our culture. That's such a low ethic. I tolerate you. God doesn't call us to tolerate. He calls us to love and to love. Someone else here today, (laughs) hey, look, I just shared with you the great love that God has for you. The fact that he sees all your mess, all your addictions, all your problems, and he still says, I want you, and you want to turn that down? God is not saying make yourself lovable first. He's not saying perform first. He says, no, 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 just accept my free love. So some of you, you need to get saved. You need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. 
But all of this flows out of a good, good father. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. And I, with all my mess, I'm loved by him. That's who I am. So we're just going to sing a couple lines from this song. And as we sing, if the spirit of God is messing with you and you go, I need to go again, or I want to get saved, would you meet me here at the altar? Father, in the name of Jesus, move upon the hearts of your people, save souls call those of us who are followers of you who need to repent of giving up too easily to get the strength we need to go again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you come?